Three is a crowd. I'm here today, last day of Woody Guthrie Month. Last day. In the bunker with that voice you heard, Kelly. How's it going, Kelly? I'm just a disembodied whisper. Shit, where the fuck did Kelly go? <laughs> I like that you indulge me. This is a Bob Dylan podcast. Now, we've been talking a lot this month about Woody Guthrie. That, unfortunately, does come to an end today. So we're going to do a big roundup on our last thoughts of Woody Guthrie along with Bob Dylan's last thoughts on Woody Guthrie. I've been listening to Bob Dylan for most of my life. Kelly has heard roughly the same number of songs as the minimum age to be the president of Ireland or the United States. And this week, we listened to The Last Thoughts of Woody Guthrie, performed on April 12th, 1963, available officially on the Bootleg Series. It's 35. It is 35. Because 34 would be weird. That'd be a weird number. I have a poem. It's not a poem here, but uh, it's something... uh, it's the first concert I've played alone, really, in, in New York. And uh, I, uh, there's a fellow out in Brooklyn State Hospital. His name is Woody Guthrie. And, uh, uh, but uh, Woody is really something more than a folk singer. Uh, he's, he's really something else more than a folk singer. And, uh, there's this book coming out, and they asked me to write uh, something about Woody. Uh, sort of like, what does Woody Guthrie mean to you in 25 words? And, uh, and I couldn't do it. I wrote out five pages, and uh, I have it here. It's a, I have it here by accident, actually. <laughs> but but I, I'd, I'd like to say this out loud. So... Uh, you can sort of roll along with this thing here. This is called Last Thoughts on Woody Guthrie. All right, Kelly. So we spent an entire week with Bob Dylan's Last Thoughts on Woody Guthrie. We started everything with Song to Woody. We're ending with our last thoughts. They're only two years, roughly two years apart. (laughs) But I think the gulf is incredible. And I think there's not a whole lot of artists out there where you can sort of chart the trajectory of how they feel about somebody and draw a line right to where it sort of ends. This is this is the end. This is truly the last thoughts of Woody Guthrie. This is very unlike anything we've done before. How did you feel going into this? Were you expecting? I mean, I, you knew this was going to be a poem, but did, yeah. did you expect it to be the way that it was done and the audience participation, kind of just the whole surroundings? Yeah, I don't know what I was expecting, if anything. A poem, yes. But it's definitely just like a long slam poem kind of thing mm-hmm. which I didn't I guess I didn't expect I don't know what I was thinking I thought it would maybe a little more effusive and a little more flattering and like it's not it's just a slam poem about feelings that he attributes to Woody Guthrie basically which I think is way more honest than like I don't want to hear about 
how you compare the summer's day to Woody Guthrie's. Agree. No, it's like really cool. It's interesting. It's much yeah. more interesting than yeah. that. Um, but it's not because like song to Woody was more of that. Yeah, yeah totally, sure. totally. Which I think again charts that trajectory. It's like song to Woody is almost naive and sweet, and it's uh, you know conceptions of everything and last thoughts is really muddled and muddy and big. I mean, it's so big. If you just think about the world he's talking about, it's like the, the little boy with his little raincoat on going off, like, I'm going to do some hard traveling, open up that door. And it's just like the hustle bustle of everybody trying to sell you shit and tell you how to like rule your life. And what are you supposed to do? It's incredible. I think that the contrast between the two is incredible. Yeah. And we'll get into that more. Uh, this song was, of course, um, this song, of course, was written uh, probably early April 1963. It was performed on April 12th, 1963 at the Town Hall in, in New York City. The majority of it is a lot of freewheeling Bob Dylan stuff and then this poem. So everything that's being played here, if you were there that night, you would be hearing, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of crazy to think about. You're hearing the future. You're hearing this first record that's about to take the world by storm and you're getting this poem on top of it, which is almost... Hello, Woody Guthrie. Thank you for giving me my first album and this contract to Columbia. I did everything I could to to make it something of my own. I appreciate you. It's almost a goodbye. It's a thank you and a goodbye. And the record's about to come out in a month. And I found that really crazy. It's... I, I would say it's weird that it only happened once, but it's a long thing and it doesn't really fit anywhere else. It is something that you would just... Was thinking this. It would feel weird if he just went around reciting this poem over and over. Yeah, I think it would cheapen it. Yeah, I think it's special because it's just on this night. So let's actually get into it. So we're going to start this episode. It's going to be pretty structured. So we're going to start with Bob's thoughts. So we're going to talk about the poem itself, and we're going to talk about the way Bob Dylan sees Woody Guthrie. That's our Halloween episode. This is our hall. <laughs> when your head gets twisted and your mind grows numb, when you think you're too old, too young, too smart, or too dumb, when you're lagging behind and losing your pace in a slow motion crawl or life's busy race, no matter what you're doing, if you start giving up, if the wine don't come to the top of your cup, if the wind got you sideways with one hand holding on and the other starts slipping and the feeling is gone, and your train engine fire needs a new spark to catch it, and the wood's easy finding, but you're lazy to fetch it. And your sidewalk starts curling and the street gets too long and you start walking backwards so you know that it's wrong and lonesome comes up as down goes the day and tomorrow's morning seems so far away and you feel the reins from your pony are slipping and your rope is a-sliding because your hands are dripping and your sun-desert and evergreen valleys turn to broken-down slums and trash can alleys. All right, Kelly, so let's start with Bob's last thoughts on Woody Guthrie. What did you think this, uh, this poem, I mean, it's long. It's a long, long poem. What did you think it was about? Uh, I thought it was about Bob, how Woody Guthrie makes Bob Dylan feel, or made Bob Dylan feel. Um, whereas Song to Woody was kind of an ode to him, this is more of a reflection on somebody that helps you through stuff, how how a person and their way of life could shape you and your emotions and how you handle situations. Yeah. And this was just that, like this, it's like a free form. This is all the things that because of Woody Guthrie, this is how I feel about all these things. Yeah. yeah. I kind of or thought... I felt that way already and I found kinship in this person. Yeah. I think that's true. Yeah. I kind of saw it as like, you know, Bob Dylan, like Woody Guthrie is with Bob Dylan through yeah. all these hard times that he sort of lays out in everything. I think that's also astute because there's a lot of. Um, yeah, I'm getting this from the Bob Dylan Encyclopedia, Michael Gray, but he makes a great 
distinction between even the style, which I hadn't thought about before. I, I mean, I wouldn't have actually known because basically um, there's a clip, which I couldn't find, but it might be on YouTube somewhere. Um, Woody Guthrie on December 3rd, 1944 at 4.45 p.m. was offered a slot on WNEW in New York City for 15 minutes where he can just play whatever he wants. Huh. Uh, too much, but he started with like a little plea, a plea to people. He just he wrote it down. Apparently back in his days where he was on California radio and stuff, he would just kind of ramble and they'd cut him off because he just keeps going forever and ever. <laughs> but he wrote this down, and I think I'll try to read it and we'll see the similarities between. And Michael Gray is pretty good at showing the, the comparison between the two. So this night, uh, Woody Guthrie said, I hate a song that makes you think that you're just born to lose, bound to lose, no good, nobody, no good for nothing because you're either too old or too young or too fat or too slim or too ugly or too this or too that. Songs that run you down, songs that poke fun at you on account of your bad luck or your hard traveling. I'm out to sing songs that will prove to you that this is your world. That if it has hit you hard and knocked you down for a dozen loops, no matter how hard it's run you down or rolled you over, no matter what color, what size, what size you are, how you're built, I'm out to sing songs that make you take pride in yourself and in your work. And the songs that I sing are made up, for the most part, by all sorts of folks just like you. And I was have... going to, sorry, I was going to read that exact thing for, no shit. for my final thoughts on what he got there. No shit. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Hilarious. Anyway. Anyways. Compare that to Bob Dylan, you know, saying like, Need something to open up a new door to show you something you've seen before but overlooked a hundred times or more. You need something to open your eyes. You need something to make it known that it's you and no one else that owns that spot that you're standing, that space that you're sitting, that the world ain't got you beat. It ain't got you licked. It can't get you crazy no matter how many times you might get kicked. You need something special, all right. You need something special to give you hope. But hope's just a word that maybe you said, maybe you heard on some windy corner around a wide-angled curve. That's my favorite part of the whole poem. Yeah, it's amazing, amazing line. And also just hearing the two, it's like mm -hmm. you're starting to get that a lot of the concepts that Woody Guthrie is throwing out there, Bob is sort of just metastasizing and throwing back right at you, which I, I found convincing, very convincing. Yeah, I love this poem. Yeah. I love it a lot. And I think we'll get to our thoughts on it, I suppose. But I, f I found it very moving when I was a kid. Um, I, I, I don't know. It's like... You, you said the other week that you found a hook in Song to Woody. And I don't know when is the best time to hear this song. But for me, this came out of flipping nowhere. I had no idea that this even existed. So when I'm listening to the bootleg tapes for the, or the bootleg series for the first time, and it got to this, I just, like, I just shut, shut down and I just listened to every word. And I was completely moved, completely blown away. And I think it had a huge impact on my life, personally. Because, I mean, I think it's all of Bob Dylan, but this is, has become so much of Bob Dylan to me. It's just this entire concept right here in a nice little tote bag that you can just walk around with. And you don't want to spoil it. Like, I, I, the last time I listened to this song on my last FM was 2014. So it's been three years since I've even listened to this. But yet, the moment it started, I was just like, oh yeah, back home. Like, this feels really good. <laughs> And I don't know if that's just being a kid or when people listen to it. So I don't know if you had that feeling. I don't know if this did that do anything to you. Were you did you were you convinced by Bob's argument that, you know, all of these forces are sort of pushing against you and you're it's best for you to chart the path. I mean, that's kind of how at the end of the day, it's almost like someone's asking a couple of questions and then Bob is giving not really an answer per se, but kind of like you got to go find your salvation. It's either going to be God and the church of your choice or it's going to be. Woody Guthrie and 
Brooklyn State Hospital or at the Grand Canyon at dawn. Mm-hmm. And all three are the same, Transcendence, Nature, God, Woody Guthrie. I don't know. Is it convincing when you're older? I don't know. I, I think so. A lot of it is like a, a kind of a single-minded thing. Parts of it are, are kind of contentious for me because it's like you're stupid for liking anything that's even slightly uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? Not vapid, but like – when well, I mean, the, the a lot open. of that is like, yeah, the bubblegum, the bubblegum craze, the Hollywood wheat germ. And, yeah. yeah, which like I agree with the idea of we are too materialistic, but I don't agree with putting down people who find value in whatever they find value in. Like, yeah. sure, I get like you're trying to make a point like people are so obsessed with their looks or they're so obsessed with their 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 whatever. They're going to their shows or going to play their golf, blah, blah, blah. But it's like you shouldn't shit on people that find value in whatever makes them happy. Yeah. But I, I do take his point of like we should focus on us and we should focus on like finding our own way and I think the art of pop music too has changed a lot from have you seen that doggy in the window versus like <laughs> right. even stuff because that's like the music first pop today. music well, song but that's what I'm saying right? yeah. so it's it's hard to bring that argument into the, into this time 50 years later that is tough because pop music is is, is certainly vapid on on one level but it, there are there's plenty of intelligent pop and there's plenty of 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 intellectualization and that's pretty much what we're doing right here we're intellectualizing pop music uh, and, and crafting it outward yeah and so I think what Bob Dylan's saying makes a lot of sense on a very basic level yeah and I think that's where Woody works too you paint what you want onto it Woody's just providing the wood and the fence and the paint you're the one that has to make the mural you gotta do the work yeah and like we said a lot with um, you know Billy Bragg and all of that work there's a whole different side of Woody Guthrie this romantic side that we never get to see and I wonder if Bob Dylan ever got to see it. You know, yeah, he never got that's to... a great question. So he's a very political singer, and I think that's what latched a young Bob Dylan into Woody Guthrie as a young man. And I, I wonder how that all continued. I wonder if Bob Dylan sat down and listened to Mermaid Avenue, you know? He has a quote about... Bob Dylan, that is. has a quote about Woody Guthrie in yeah. Chronicles, oh. apparently, where he says, the songs themselves are really beyond category. They had the infinite sweep of humanity in them. Well, and it's a beautiful it, That's what's obvious in this poem. And that's how we really felt. Like, it runs the gamut. But the underlying message is just stick to your guns. And people aren't always going to think like you. But yeah. you're not alone. Like, that's what I took away. And that was, what I think, what he was for him. It's like, I'm not alone. This is this person has great ideals that I can look up to and live by. And that's really beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. I, I loved it. I loved it for a variety of reasons, not only for that, but also just some of the lines I think are just, I mean, all of these little things are just, these little couplets are just so beautiful the way that he says them. And if you feel the reins of your pony slipping. And your rope was a sliding because your hands are dripping. And your sun desert and evergreen valleys turned to broken down slums and trash can alleys. It, this land was made for you and me. It's yeah, like, oh, absolutely. I love that. The way he said, like the sound of that the was sound. really, really great. Yeah, the way that he just has command of this as if, you know, he's reading from a piece of paper, but he, his control of it, you can tell he's work this out for a long time so he has this um like twang to his voice this extra extra crunt country little thing going on mm-hmm. which is cute and well, totally fits the aesthetic just right there yeah and at the time it's fine yeah. it's all great <laughs> but he loses it on one word in the poem oh yeah i can't remember what it is why didn't i highlight it anyway i'm okay. never gonna find it there's so yeah. many words in this <laughs> <laughs> Drops the accent, and I just find that really jarring because it takes you out of it for a second because he really has this flow yeah. and aesthetic going. I remember what the word was. It's inhaling, but I don't know where it, the uh, – where he says, on this thing I'm doing and on this 
air I'm inhaling. On this podcast, I'm derailing. <laughs> and you wish you'd never taken that last detour sign. You say to yourself, just what am I doing? On this road I'm walking, on this trail I'm turning. On this curve I'm hanging, on this pathway I'm strolling. In the space I'm taking, in this air I'm inhaling. Am I mixed up too much? Am I mixed up too hard? Why am I walking? Where am I running? What am I saying? What am I knowing on this guitar I'm playing? On this banjo I'm freeling, on this mandolin I'm strumming, in a song I'm singing, in a tune I'm humming, in the words that I'm thinking, in the words I'm writing. In this ocean of hours I'm all the time drinking. Who am I helping? What am I breaking? What am I giving? What am I taking? Like he makes a point to say the G and he completely drops the accent and I don't know why. I just like, Hah! it's like someone hit a buzzer while I was listening to it. Well, it's funny you even bring that up. Yeah, I thought that was one of the I, one of the perfect. I specifically notated that. Yeah. <laughs> On this nice. road I'm walking, this trail I'm turning, yeah. It, on this curve that I'm hanging the pathway I'm strolling in space I'm taking the air that I'm inhaling inhaling see you want to say inhaling and he should have said inhaling but no he was like inhaling Inhaling. (laughs) am I mixed up too much mixed up am I not mixed up too hard (laughs) why am I walking where am I running what am I saying what am I doing yeah I love that I just love the entire back and forth yeah that's one of my favorites uh, favorite lines in the whole thing it was worth it for you to give our self-reference call out. That was amazing. Uh, a couple other lines that stood out to me. Uh, you need a Greyhound bus that don't bar no race, that won't laugh at your looks, nor your voice or your face. Kind of goes back to that quote that I read earlier yeah. about, you know, just somebody who's not going to mock you. It's like, we're all in this together. We're doing this thing. Um, I love bubblegum craze. I think we talk a lot about, uh, you know, vapidness and, and pop music, but I think bubblegum is... We still do that. We still use bubblegum for... What did bubblegum ever do to America? (laughs) That's true. It's kind of a... (laughs) And then uh, right after that is another just amazing uh, couple of lines. Um, Need something to open up a new door to show you something you've seen before but overlooked a hundred times or more. I love the idea that like what you want is right in front of you and you've overlooked it over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where when he starts going into you can't find joy in, in anything on a dollar bill on a Macy's windowsill. No rich kid, no rich fart kids roadmap. No, no, no fart kids <laughs> fraternity house. Uh, no fat kids fraternity house. No Hollywood wheat germ. Uh, you won't find it on a dimlit stage on a comedian uh, with comedians. No nightclub or yacht club or supper club. Not on your ticket stub, which I disagree with. I think you can find plenty. Uh, no cardboard box house movie stars blouse. You can't find it on a golf course. Uncle Remus tells you uh, Santa Claus. There ain't no. I love this. A cream puff hairdo or cotton candy clothes. Dime store dummies or bubblegum goons. Ain't in the marshmallow noises of the chocolate cake voices. That just makes me think of cupcake horrors, and I love it. <laughs> and Uncle Remus can't tell you, and neither can Santa Claus. And ain't in the cream puff hairdo or cotton candy clothes. Ain't in the dime store dummies and bubblegum goons. And ain't in the marshmallow noises of the chocolate cake voices that come knocking and tapping in Christmas wrapping. Saying, ain't I pretty? Ain't I cute? Look at my skin. Look at my skin shine. Look at my skin glow. Look at my skin laugh. Look at my skin cry when you can't even sense if they got any insides. These people so pretty in their ribbons and bows. Now you'll not now, no other day, find it on the doorsteps made of paper mache. And inside with the people made of molasses that every other day buy a new pair of sunglasses. And they in the 50-star generals and flipped out phonies who turn you in for a tenth of a penny. Who breathe and burp and bend and crack and before you can count from one to ten, do it all over again. But this time behind your back, my friend. Yeah, I agree with the, the sentiment personally, but yeah. I also have empathy and compassion and understanding for people that find joy in other things, whatever it is. I, I don't think... That some people just don't, don't question. 
That's yeah. what I mean. Well, that's just critical thought. That's critical thought. And it's also just, it's human nature not to do that. It's human nature not to leave. It's it's much safer to just stay in the confines of where you are. It's much safer to stay in Minnesota and not drive to find your idol and confront them and see them in person in a hospital. If you have no sense of introspection, you never question the things around you. You never, you can do both and that's fine. And that's what being a well-rounded human is, is doing both. Not necessarily watching Cupcake Course, but like, so I like to wear makeup or I like fashion or I like whatever. I can also still be a very thoughtful, considerate, deep person who cares about things that are happening in the world. True. And I think that's the point. We're supposed to listen to this and sort of see in ourselves the shallowness of our own being and start to contemplate what we're doing as people um, to fulfill what we want. Like, we haven't even gotten through halfway of the song yet, which is, ah, how brilliant is that? We're having all these (laughs) existential doubts about our own existence already. The song, going beyond that, though, it still resonates. I think when it gets to, uh... The ones that wheel and deal and whirl and twirl and play games with each other in the sandbox world. You can't find it either in the no-talent fools that run around gallant and make all the rules for the ones that got talent. And ain't the ones that ain't got any talent but think they do and think they're fooling you. The ones that jump on the wagon just for a while because they know it's in style. To get their kicks, get out of it quick and make all kinds of money and chicks. And you yell to yourself and you throw down your hat saying, Christ, do I got to be like that? Ain't there no one here that knows where I'm at? Ain't there no one here that knows how I feel? Good God Almighty, that stuff ain't real. All of it. I mean, everything in there is basically just saying there are people out there whose sole mission in life is to move you around, to get you to buy into this system. It is up to you to resist the pull or do it in a responsible way, like not give yourself over to them. I think that's just like a constant feeling of life. What is real? What is actually worthwhile? What is worth my time? What am I doing? Why am I here? Oh, man. Yeah. So just like a really light affair in your brain at all times. Yeah. Yeah, cool. And that's where we leave it off. It's like we're now sort of at the crossroads. And then after that, we start to kind of get Bob Dylan's answer as to how do we rectify this. And where do you look for this hope that you're seeking? Where do you look for this lamp that's burning? Where do you look for this oil well gushing? Where do you look for this candle that's glowing? Where do you look for this hope that you know is there and out there somewhere? And your feet can only walk down two kinds of roads. Your eyes can only look through two kinds of windows. Your nose can only smell two kinds of hallways. You can touch and twist and turn two kinds of doorknobs. You can either go to the church of your choice or you go to Brooklyn State Hospital. You find God in the church of your choice. You find Woody Guthrie in Brooklyn State Hospital. No, it's only my opinion. I may be right or wrong. You find them both in Grand Canyon, sundown. Oh, it's really beautiful. Yeah, I think I sort of said that before, but it's like an intertwining of, of God, Woody, nature, you know, the Grand Canyon. Um, it's like the same sublime. You know, you sort of sit out there. I think one person that I read sort of chalked it up to like when you walk up to the Grand Canyon's edge, right? At sunset, you can kind of know that you're going to walk up to this ledge and you're going to see splendor, but you could very well at the same time see Woody Guthrie strumming on a guitar. Like that's in Bob's mind, the two are the same. I could walk over this ledge and there is no sunset actually. That was just a mirage, but I would see Bob Woody Guthrie more powerful than seeing God. Well, like the awesomeness, the awesomeness of nature. Yeah, exactly. And, and then comparing Woody Guthrie with that is, I mean, I don't know if I fully agree with that. Woody Guthrie has not had that impact on my life. I, I could have written something like this. Yeah, and in the end, I think the song is looking, you're looking for hope. And you have to find hope where you can. And I think Woody, for Bob, makes him feel hopeful. 
Woody was out, quote, to sing songs that will prove to you that this is your world. And I think if you squint just right, you're either going to find God or Woody, transcendent nature and God, Woody and transcendent nature. But if you're lucky, you're going to find all three right there. Grand Canyon, God, Woody, hanging out, having a good time. That's true transcendence. That would be like Nirvana right there. I mean, put Nirvana in there too. Got a whole band. All right, Kelly, we've obviously talked a lot about um, Bob Dylan's thoughts of Woody Guthrie, which is incredibly powerful. We both, I think, really enjoyed it, found a lot out of it. Woody Guthrie was still very much alive when this was being performed in April of 1963. Kelly, if you can close Woody Guthrie Month out with what happened to Woody Guthrie, why was he in the hospital? Why was a 19-year-old Bob Dylan going to find him? And why was he writing song to Woody? Why was he writing last thoughts on Woody Guthrie a couple of years later? So to find out what happened to Woody, we just have to know that he had Huntington's disease, which is officially the hardest disease to say ever. Apparently. That's probably not true. There's a lot of crazy medical words. Huntington's disease. It's an inherited fatal genetic disorder that causes progressive breakdown of uh, nerve cells in the brain, deteriorates a person's mental and physical abilities during their prime working years. So meaning like out of puberty, you're an adult and you're oh, strong that soon? uh that's when stuff like starts to take effect it it hits p- different people different times but like you're usually okay in your teen years and just like once you get older anyway most people tend to die in their 40s to 50s so it's like all those you have that time where you start to de- decline and then like you're right, probably gonna die before you're 60 for sure um and it's a painful way to go um it's about 10 to 20 years worth of losing your faculties, talking, walking, eating. Um, like It's like having the symptoms of ALS, Parkinson's, and Alzheimer's all in one. Uh, there's a 50-50 chance of passing it on to your children if you have it, so, which is did. super high. It did, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, about 30,000 people are symptom- in America are symptomatic, so they, they have these, all these symptoms. And uh, 200,000, it's estimated, are at risk, like carriers. Um, or their parents were carriers. Huntington's Disease Society of America, founded in 1968 by Marjorie Guthrie, who was married to Woody Guthrie. <laughs> that would be weird if not. So about the, the 50-50 thing, so Woody had eight kids. Yeah. Um, and there were only three that are alive today. And not because of old age, they're just only three alive. So it's pretty nuts. So uh, he was married to Mary Esta Jennings from 1933 to 1943, had three children Gwendolyn and Sue both died at age 41 uh, of, of Huntington's disease and his son with her Bill uh, died at 23 in a car accident involving a train he married Marjorie who founded the Huntington's disease of America society society of America later. Yeah. yeah later later uh, from 1945 to 1953 is when they were married but they did reconnect later in life because she was there when she he died uh, none of her kids ended up getting Huntington's disease, which is pretty remarkable. One of one of their children, they had four, I believe, four or five, uh, died when they were a toddler. Um, then he was briefly married to a woman named Aneke Van Kirk from 53 to 54 and had one daughter, Lorena Lynn, um, in 54. And she was – they got a divorce. This will go back. We'll go back to that a little bit later. But she died uh, – she was adopted out because Woody couldn't take care of her, and the woman, after the divorce, um, took off an Aneke, yeah. and uh, they put her for adoption, and she later died at 19 in a car accident. So, really dark yeah. children situation for Woody. Um, yeah, they they had four. Marjorie and him had four. Okay. 
and uh, one of them died as a toddler. Anyway, so where's Woody Guthrie? We know he has Huntington's disease. In 1940s is when things start to go badly for him. Um, he starts becoming more erratic and he's like having a lot of emotional mood swings, which is kind of par for the course for Huntington's disease. In 52, he's officially diagnosed with Huntington's disease after previously being diagnosed with like schizophrenia. Um, because Alcohol. yeah, people just didn't know what it was because it, it was a kind of rare thing. I mean, yeah. thirty thousand people being symptomatic today is not a lot of people. Lot. So they had no idea what it was. So they were just kind of, and because of this, he ended up getting arrested or taken into custody or stopped by the police for vagrancy um, in '56. And the, like, he was roaming around a highway, just being shambling about. So. In 52, when he's diagnosed with Huntington's disease, Marjorie, shortly after that, divorces him because she's scared of his behavior and how he's acting around the kids and tells him to go back to California. At the time, he was in New York or New Jersey. Um, so he does go to California, and he lives at the Theatricum Bodicum, a theater owned by Will Greer, who we learned was the guy from the Maltons that he was friends with back in California. So it makes sense that he wanted to go see him. He was trying to wait out the commie scare in America because he was roped into all of that. Funnily enough, we'll never get over it. <laughs> so, would he still be waiting? Yeah, still waiting. That's when he married Aneke, who he yeah. had the one daughter with. They moved to Florida briefly to live in a bus because it sounds right for Florida. For uh, during this time, he heard his arm in a campfire explosion, also right for Florida, and was never able to play guitar again. This was in 53 or 54. Oh, that's tragic. Yeah. So I didn't know that. He didn't die till 67. So he wasn't able to play the guitar for the last 14 years of his life. Oof. In 54, he moved to New York with Aneke. They get divorced. The baby goes away. Uh, Marjorie reenters his life and ends up taking care of Woody until he dies. She, he stayed at Greystone, which is uh, a mental facility uh, from 56 to 61, uh, Brooklyn State Hospital from 61 to 66, and then the final place he was at was the Creedmoor Psychiatric Facility until 67 when he died. While we are definitely better about things now, uh, it was really fucked up for a long time. A long time. Anybody, oh God, especially for women, surprise to no one, anytime you disobeyed your husband, you have hysteria, better take out part of your brain. Like, yeah. that was a legitimate thing because you were acting acting outside of the cultural norm or societal norm at all meant you were fit for the asylum. Yeah, wow. So yeah, that Greystone place apparently wasn't very good because Nora said, like, his daughter, um, Marjorie's daughter, his and Marjorie's daughter, that she remembered yeah. being terrified to go there and that, that there was like he would eat, he couldn't hold his own spoon to like feed himself so he would drop food all over himself and they would go back days later and he was, wouldn't be cleaned up and just like yeah, there was no kind of care there not right but luckily a really big fan of Woody's um, would actually let them the whole family go visit him at his place instead which was closer to their home so they eventually moved to the Brooklyn State Hospital, which was closer for them. So he got out of that place. That but I don't know how good his care was at Brooklyn State. But anyway, it's so weird. This guy, there was a folk revival because folk wasn't a big deal for a while because the commie thing. That's a really like you still the, can't wrap your head around the Red Scare killed folk music, which was the revolutionary music of the time. When I was looking everywhere for them gold darn reds, I got up in the morning, looked under my bed, looked behind the kitchen, behind the door, even tore loose the kitchen floor. I couldn't find any. I looked beneath the sofa, beneath the chair, looking for them reds everywhere. I looked way up my chimney hole, even deep down inside. 
my toilet bowl, I got a wave. But they tried in, in Brooklyn State Hospital or wherever, uh, Marjorie and them tried to articulate to Woody how important his songs were and how people today, right now, this little Bob Dylan boy, you remember him? No, I probably don't remember him. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, he's singing these songs about you. Everyone in America knows who he is. And they know him, and he puts your name in his mouth everywhere he goes. Like, oh, it's, it, that is probably the saddest part of it all to me, is that he just didn't even know what he meant. And that's the one thing he wanted. He didn't want people to forget his songs. He was teaching Arlo how to play This Land is Your Land while he could, still could because he didn't want people to forget him. He didn't want his legacy to be gone. Ugh, so sad. I know. It's like he had no idea that that was never in question. I'm really glad that there were people interested in folk music and interested in Woody Guthrie at that time because he could have just died in obscurity. He could have died from a terrible disease alone with his family in this hospital and just that would have been it. That would have been it. That would have been it. All right. So we've heard Bob Dylan's last thoughts. Kelly, our last thoughts. Do we have any? Well done. Thank you. Try to avoid the R hour. I've been thinking about Woody Guthrie a lot this month. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, I hope so. (laughs) And uh, more specifically this week and what I think about Woody Guthrie. And it's really tough for me because it, he means a lot. I didn't know that he did. I think that he's informed parts of my life that I didn't know because he influenced other people that I've been influenced by. And this, yeah. the, the idea of fighting back and being strong and staying true to yourself and helping everyone around you. I mean, that thing I read a, that Nora Guthrie wrote, every piece of that was amazing. And like yes. that, that was it. That's there we it. go. Goodbye. What do you got three? Thank you. That kind of thing. Yeah. So, the only thing that <laughs> that I can really think to say, other than I think he was a, a amazing person with a lot of depth, who wrote about things that are important and that matter and still ring true today, mm-hmm. um, but also had like this cool romantic side. So yeah. he was also like very Don't much a poetic artist and and just really fucking cool. I think that <laughs> in Tom Joad, he kind of sums up my feelings about oh, him nice. okay. the best. Weirdly enough, okay. um, so I don't know anything about. Grapes of Wrath. So I'm not 100% sure if these are kind of John Steinbeck's (laughs) words, but um, at the end of Tom Jode, where he says, you know who needed one of his kids, Jody? No way. Yeah. That's that's one of the ones that died, I'm pretty pretty sure. Mm -hmm. Anyway, (laughs) everybody might just be one big soul. It looks that way to me. Everywhere that you look in the day or the night, that's where I'm going to be. Wherever little children are hungry and cry, wherever people ain't free, wherever men are fighting for their rights, that's where I'm going to be. And I think like... That's I know. Oh my god! He just oh my god. chokes you out. <laughs> yeah. So just to kind of throw out some, just to finish it all out, some accolades and, and things like that, just so we're all up to snuff. We've heard the beginning of Woody Guthrie uh, three weeks ago. We we certainly heard the the tragic end. Um, so how about the in between and what about the after? So we obviously have the Woody Guthrie Foundation uh, and the Woody Guthrie Center that's in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It opened in 2013. I swear to God, that makes me so mad because I wish I could have gone there. When I was driving around Oklahoma all those years ago, it would have made me so happy. That would have been an amazing place. And also, Tulsa is going to be where Bob Dylan is. They're creating a huge center for Bob Dylan. All of his archives and everything is going to be right there in Oklahoma as well. So the fact Aww. that they get to be together is mm, is perfect. There's also the Woody Guthrie Folk Festival held as close to July 14th, which is Woody's birthday, uh, in Oklahoma every year. So that's still going on. So we can still celebrate him with 
you know, Oklahoma artists and beyond, obviously. Uh, he's been honored in all kinds of ways. He was inducted to the Rock and Roll, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1988. Uh, he won a Lifetime Grammy uh, Achievement Award in 2000. The song Roll On Columbia, Roll On, uh, was chosen as the official Washington State folk song. Yeah. Didn't know they had a folk song. Uh, and then Oklahoma Hills, which we did actually listen to, uh, was chosen as the official state folk song of Oklahoma. Okay, so wait, hang on one second. Does do we have like an f- official hip hop song? Rap song. Know. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows what they do? He was also on a postage, postage stamp in 1998, which I think gets to the weirdness about Woody Guthrie, that he's like hiding out because of the Red Scare and the government that is monitoring him and thinks him as subversive. And then later we have sanctified him and put him on a postage stamp. Mm. At times change, obviously, and the people that... Don't, don't they don't think that way anymore but it's still I think it's one of those things that you just have to kind of intellectually accept and, and sort of keep it in the back of your head don't ever let it go but you know it's still I mean I want to be on a poster stamp that's pretty dope yeah uh, and then the musical interpretations I think are never going to end we have Merman Avenue that will stand the test of time I mean that's one of the most beautiful albums I've ever heard and just having Woody's words with, with Billy Bragg and Wilco is, is undeniably great and obviously they have a bunch of projects that are continually going you know 2000 i think 12 i think was the last one and then of course there's huntington's disease um huntington's disease society of america yeah so we have that which is a huge legacy an amazing legacy um there's also what we were talking about earlier um warty 40 by philip bueller you can actually see photographs from what it looked like um you know it hasn't been torn down um, the Greystone Psychiatric Facility. Yeah, so you can still see the hallways and, and all that kind of stuff. It's in, and it's also interspersed with other intimate photos from, from Nora and the Woody Guthrie Foundation. So it looks beautiful. Uh, I have not seen it myself, but I, I would highly recommend it for anybody interested. Greystone State Park. Greystone Park State Hospital. Oh, that is really confusing. Yeah. And then I think there's another thing, too, that I want to mention, uh, called a, a film called Lion's Mouth Opens which is an HBO documentary about a woman who is who doesn't know if she wants to know or not if she has Huntington's disease. And she's only, like, 35. Yeah. And she doesn't know if she wants to, like, know that and how life is going to go or not. Um, I, I couldn't find a full copy of this. Maybe I can try to download it somewhere. But the trailer itself is just, like, devastatingly terrible. And it's, it's probably a really hard hang. But apparently there's a scene in it where she reads Last Thoughts to Woody Guthrie. Oh, man. Like, while she's mulling the decision on whether to know or not. Which just, like, you don't even have to tell me more. I'm already crying. So do that at your own peril when you want to feel. Like, you know that'll make you feel really sad, but also probably very uplifted as well. So put that in your notebook. I don't know what people do. Um, (laughs) let's uh, Let's have Woody Guthrie have the last word. So he said, quote, The world is filled with people who are no longer needed, and you try to make slaves of us all. And they have their music and we have ours. Theirs, the wasted songs of a superstitious nightmare. And without their music and ideological miscarriages to compare our songs of freedom to, we'd not have any opposite to compare our music with. And like the drifting wind hitting against no obstacle, we'd never know its speed or its power. So Kelly, in addition to Woody Guthrie, we also lived our lives as normal human beings on this earth. Did you do anything else beyond listen to Last thoughts of Woody Guthrie this week. I did. No fucking way. <laughs> the weird nostalgia moment, I guess. And also not weird for me. I don't know why I would say it's weird, because I have these moments all the time. Yeah. Anyway, in a weird... Moment. In a rare twist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have music. That's what the rare twist is. 
<laughs> music from the 90s, Daniel. Can you believe it? Uh, so Pete and Pete, The Adventures of Pete and Pete, that was a show on Nickelodeon that was actually like my favorite show as a kid and it still holds up. I watched it, uh, I don't know, like, oh my God, it was probably like 10 years ago. I now. know, it was a long time ago. Like it came out for like on the... Oh, on the, the, the end. The end or whatever, when it first premiered, they redid it all. It's still so good. And Iggy Pop's on it, which is hilarious. Whoa, I didn't he plays I remember that. Nona F. Mecklenburg's dad, who was Nona F. Mecklenburg pe- yeah. played by, none other than Michelle Trachtenberg. Yes, but no, I don't have that in my memory bank at all. Anyway. I would now though. I'd probably freak out if I saw it. Shit. So watch it. <laughs> it's good. It's so sure fucking it weird yeah. and so good. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, and the superhero guy. What's his name? Artie. Artie. The strongest man in the world. In the world. In the world. Yes. Who wears pajamas all the time and hangs out with young kids. Fucking yeah, weird. That's weird. Uh, cool. so Danny Tamborelli. Danny yeah. Tamborelli. And then the other one. <laughs> <laughs> the older one. <laughs> you know, Pete. <laughs> yeah. The little little Pete. Uh, is it in like a rock band of some kind? I don't know. He had a Good guy. There was he wasn't all that. Uh, a house band in that show, Polaris. They not only did the theme song, but they showed up in a couple episodes. Nineties, the nineties. Oh god. Lester Jackson was also in Pete and Pete, and that's the first time I ever heard of saw them. Thank you, Pete and Pete. You were formidable in my life. <laughs> um, Worth it. Worth formidable, formative, formidable. Not so much. Well, who knows? Formidable. Formidable. <laughs> um. So Polaris was not a real band per se. They just kind of made the music for the show. The person behind it, or one of the people behind it, the front man and the lead guitarist, Mark Mulcahy, I think is how you say his name, was actually in a band in the 80s called Miracle Legion, which everybody really likened to R.E.M. Like they were the post-R.E.M., even though I'm like, post-R.E.M. in the 80s, isn't that when they were R.E.M.? There's no post. Yeah, things move fast in the 80s. Right? I guess. They had a couple albums, like only two, I think. To become um, post-punk and, like, post-rock today takes a lot of fucking work. Back then, it's just like, eh. It's been a week. Yeah, you're not R.A.M., you're post-R.A.M. Basically. They likened his voice to Michael Stipe, but I don't hear it at all. Anyway, it's really jangly, fun rock. Um, I listened to a little bit of Miracle Legion, too. And also, same thing. I really liked it a lot. But Polaris, the one and only album they have is music from The Adventures of Pete and Pete. But it's a whole album. It's not, like, 30 seconds of whatever they used for the... Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a whole proper, like, 14-song album. Every song is great. It's catchy. It's jangly, it's soft and gentle rock, and I love it. Nice. And uh, Polaris, check it out. Yeah, there you go. All right, I want to recommend a few things. Not really a few. Um, I also recommended last week, but we had to cut it out for time. Uh, St. Vincent released a record called Mass Education. I would definitely recommend that. And we also talked about Rural Alberta Advantage, who are where, where are they from, Kelly? Australia. Australia, that's correct. Uh, have an album called The Wild out as well. And also, yesterday we heard that Fats Domino passed away. Oh, yeah. That's right. Which is super sad. I, I listened to the entire Imperial Singles collection. It's like 140-something songs. I feel close to this dude. Yeah? I feel close to him. Yeah. They're, it's good music. It's good. very tertiary knowledge of Fats Domino. Yeah, it's really, it's really good. I mean, it's definitely right up your alley. Yeah. But it's something that, me too, I was like, you know, ain't that a shame? Okay. Like, I definitely recognize some of those songs. And uh, even other ones that I just didn't know right off the bat, like the names of them. You're just like, oh man, that that melody, that the way that you're singing that right there, I, I've heard that elsewhere. Yeah. And it was really fascinating. It was really great. I really enjoyed it. Um, reading pieces about it too, his life was impressive. He'd like just stop performing when he was when he got older he like kind of just went into retirement he actually had to be taken out he lived in the ninth ward he was he grew up in new orleans in the ninth ward hurricane katrina hit he did not leave new orleans 
and he had to be helicoptered out. And he said, I would have been fine. I had I had some wine and a couple beers. I would have been fine. <laughs> and his whole life just I loved it, the simplicity of it. He's like, Yeah, as long as I just got a couple beers and I got my my my, my pots and pans to cook with, then we're good. And he, he decided not to go on tour later in life because the food was better in New Orleans. So he didn't <laughs> want to go. I just respect the man yeah. infinitely. Yeah. So uh, and then I also want to recommend something fun that I'm actually gonna do for the first time ever because I have lots of things I need to get done, called NaNoWriMo. It's called National Novel Writing Month. Oh, is that this month? I thought that was. Oh, it's November. November, yeah. So all of November, fifty thousand words. That's the goal. Get to fifty thousand words. Uh, it's only about one one thousand six hundred and sixty-seven a day to get done. You've with everything. done Nano a couple times, right? I I faked it. Um, yeah, I did them um, like trying to like build projects and stuff around them. I've I've kind of participated halfway pretty much every year since college but it was only in college that i actually did them like with totally original things that i have not been like working on before so this time i've got other podcast ideas in my head so i'm going to be doing it there so if you guys are doing nano remote let me know we can be friends because i don't really do much on the website but i'm more than happy to share my life with my fans oh god that was gross (laughs) so let me know if that's thing that you're doing waiting for october i close my what what did you say i move my feet i close my cross oh cross my fingers cross my heart and hope to die who was that waiting for october polaris (laughs) 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 stuck in my head all right, Kelly, we are, we are done with, with Woody Guthrie Month. Uh, it's sad, but also... It's sad, and it's also... Relieving. It's, it, it's, it's good. It's good. I think it's something that was really important for us to do. I'm really, 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 really happy that we have this information going forward. This is not the end of Woody Guthrie. We will be talking about this man and a lot of Bob Dylan's work for years and years and years and years to come. Not only of his work, but also of our work. That's and great. And now we'll have so much context. So much context. That's yeah, so I think nice. this is one of those things. Builds a lot of context. So we are down. I'm excited, personally. We get to pick our first song. This is not a sham, people. <laughs> Ring the bells. <laughs> Hit the ladders. You know who likes bells. Trains. Trains and bells. <laughs> Ring the trains. Hit the bells. This is not a sham. This is actually real. We are down to 499 songs. You We've eliminated four. the one poem. This is insane. Do not pick 499. Kelly, what? One out of 499. What do you think? 26. 311, baby. Oh, Jesus. All right, 26. All right, this is our first. This is our first post Woody. The color of your energy. You did this to us. (laughs) Oh, it would have been a great song. So this is our. This would have been our second one off of Blood on the Tracks called Meet Me in the Morning. That's a beautiful song. Great song. Nice traditional 12-bar blues. Great lyrics. Multiple versions. Let's see what 311 will stack up against this. I'm really nervous. They also covered Love Song by The Cure, and I did not like their version very much. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying. This is a great song. So this is another song from, we just can't get rid of it, um, because there's like 53 songs on it. Uh, The Bootleg Series, Volume 1 through 3. So this is on... I believe volume one. This is a very early Bob Dylan song that didn't make, I want to say, freewheeling Bob Dylan. It's a song called Passive Victory. So I think we're kind of on the same wavelength here with Woody. Woody's not letting us go. 
So we are going to be we're going to be listening to Paths of Victory, uh, which which is on the Bootleg Series one through three, and also on the Bootleg Series Volume Nine. We will see you next week for our first non Woody Guthrie month song, Paths of Victory, episode thirty six. Also. Happy Halloween! Happy Halloween! <laughs> We've got our Bob Dylan masks on. What? You know what we mean. Also, real real podcast. Check it out. Bye. <laughs> if you can hear the vacuum behind us, Kelly informed me that I have to let you know, I have to, <laughs> that we have a website at SOTWpod.com. We have a Twitter at SOTWpod, a Tumblr at SOTWpod, a Facebook at SOTWpod. <laughs> a Pinterest. Oh my god. With one thing on it. We have a Spotify playlist. We have so Spotify many things. Spotify playlist. See that my playlist is kept clean? That's us. There you go. A website. I said that. I think we're done here. A website Daniel. has everything that you would want. Have I con- have I fulfilled what we needed to do, Kelly? I guess. Alright. Alright, then we'll see you for Pass the Victory. Goodbye. This time I'm walking to New An outlined epitaph. Woody Guthrie was my last idol. He was the last idol because he was the first idol that I'd ever met face to face. That men are men, shattering even himself as an idol. And that men have reasons for what they do and what they say, and every action can be questioned, leaving no command untouched and took for granted. Obeyed and bowed down to, forgetting your own natural instincts. For there's a million reasons in the world, and a million instincts running around, and it's none too many times that the two shall meet. The unseen idols create the fear, and trample hope when busted. Woody never made me fear, and he didn't trample any hopes. For he just carried a book of man, and gave it to me to read a while. And from it I learned my greatest lesson. You ask, how does it feel to be an idol? It'd be silly of me to answer, wouldn't it?